Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. Here we are at midweek already. Coming up on our program today, we're going to talk with the CEO of the Kansas Wheat Growers. Justin Gilpin will join us, talk about some weather challenges again. Seems like we've talked a lot about those this year. Weather challenges for the wheat crop and a recent trip he's he was on to Brazil promoting wheat quality to buyers there. That's coming up on our program. We'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. And we're also today going to talk with the CEO of a new lending organization. This is a, a group called Farm Op. It's a new ag lender, and they're, they have a little different business model. They finance based on the farmer's ability to grow a crop and not using hard assets like equipment or land. We'll find out more about it coming up later on in today's program. Right now, though, we're joined by Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, good to talk with you. Um, uh, some things going on in Washington other than the impeachment hearings. They're they're working on the, the spending bill, I guess, moving towards a continuing resolution, right? Uh, yes, that's right. Yesterday, the uh, House passed the continuing resolution that will go through the uh, 20th of December. And uh, now the Senate is expected to take it up, and the White House says that President Trump will sign it. All of that should take place by Thursday, which is when the current CR expires. Now, the important things about this are, of course, that it will allow the government to function for the next month, and at the same time, the uh, Congress can continue to uh, work on an agreement uh, on the real appropriations bills to fund the government in 2020, which means through September of next year. So uh, it looks like everything is uh, stable. I guess that's the way I'd put it. Also, seems to be some movement in the House on a tax extenders package. Yes, uh, there, has been, there has been some movement on that. And the biodiesel industry in particular has been in Washington this week lobbying really hard on that. Uh, they uh, put out a press release that I can't remember how many members they met with. I think it was 80 or something like that, uh, pushing their tax extenders. Of course, you know, they're making the point that plants are closing uh, because of the instability in, uh, in that. Uh, and on a more general note, uh, at a House Agriculture Committee hearing on, uh, on Tuesday, uh, Colin Peterson, the chairman of the committee, asked Glenn Smith, the head of the Farm Credit Administration, uh, about the, the situation with biofuels. And Smith said there, def- there needs to be certainty in this area. And uh, to my surprise it, uh, uh, a bit, he went out a little farther and said that he thought farmers had, re- had responded to both the, co- the people of the country and Congress in establishing the biofuels industry to, you know, he didn't say to deal with environmental issues, but that was the reason, uh, and that because of that, they deserve the stability. So that was kind of a message to the Trump administration uh, on, their, on how they're going to uh, finalize the regulations for the renewable fuel, renewable fuel standard. So we'll be watching that very closely. Meanwhile, we're watching USMCA. There still seems to be concern 
especially by some House Democrats, over enforcement of the deal and concerns about uh, jobs and manufacturing uh, plants moving to Mexico, and they're trying to get stronger language, evidently. Uh, yes. Uh, now, uh, yes, uh, Speaker uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, and others met with Richard Trumka, the head of the AFL-CIO, and they came out with a statement, we can do USMCA as long as there is uh, stronger enforcement mechanisms. Uh, now, the other thing that's happened in the last day or so is that some House freshmen uh, have said that uh, they think the, the agreement is in trouble and that the Democrats can't bring it up in its, in its current form. Uh, Richard Neal, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, however, said he believes an agreement will be announced shortly after Thanksgiving. And Donna Shalala, who is a congresswoman from Florida, but she is a very experienced person in Washington, having been uh, Health and Human Services Secretary under Bill Clinton. No, she's been around a long time. She, she discounted the freshman's view and said, these freshmen don't understand what it's like when you're in the end game of, of uh, finishing something. Uh, they, just, they're not, they don't have enough experience, really, to be commenting on the situation. So I suppose that's still slightly positive, although I'm not quite as optimistic today as I would have been a week ago. Yeah, there seems to be a real division there. There are some House Democrats, I think especially in rural areas, uh, that want to deliver this this uh, deal and get it done and show they've got something done in this session. And uh, certainly they're hearing about it from constituents back home, I'm sure. But there's this other faction feels very strongly about uh, they didn't like NAFTA. They thought it hurt uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, industries in many ways, manufacturing plants and jobs, and they're going to, I guess, draw a line in the sand to try to keep that from happening again in their minds. Yes, well, I think in the end, you know, it comes down to uh, whether you could, uh, you could, if you bring up the bill, uh, would you get some combination of Democrats and Republicans to support it, and uh, what percentage would come from either party? Uh, I have not seen any anyone keeping tabs on, you know, a vote count. Uh, as has happened on some trade disagree issues in the past, uh, I just haven't. It's, you know, it's an enormous amount of work for a news organization to call every office and ask this, and I haven't, I haven't seen that anyone is doing that. Yeah, we hear some say if it came up for a vote today, there would be enough votes, but I don't know that anyone, like you say, have they really taken a head count to know that's for sure or not? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So and again, uh, so it's. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's out there. I think now, you know, Congress is going to leave, I think, most likely on Thursday, and they won't be back until after Thanksgiving. So we'll have to see what's going to happen then. Then we have a, a really intense several weeks. They were supposed to go out on about December 13th or 15th. I think they'll be here until the 20th of December, until right before Christmas. Yeah, and that was my prediction all along, that uh, this, if and when this gets voted on, it'll be right before they leave for uh, the Christmas break. But uh, the calendar is getting tight, that's for sure. Jerry, good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Good, always good to talk to you, Mike.
Take care. Stay Jerry well. Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Another quick reminder, the DTN Ag Summit is coming up in Chicago December 9, 10, and 11. Big lineup of speakers, lots of good information. We're giving you a chance to win a free registration to the DTN Ag Summit. All you have to do is go to our website, AmericanAgNetwork.com. Click on Adams on Agriculture, and you'll see where you can go to enter your information. We're going to have a drawing at random of two names coming up this coming Monday. So there will be two winners who will get free registration to the DTN Ag Summit coming up next month in Chicago. Those are valued at $600 each. So uh, go to our website, AmericanAgNetwork.com. Click on Adams on Agriculture and uh, enter your information, and you may uh, win. You may be chosen for a free registration to the DTN Ag Summit. I'll be broadcasting from there on December 10th. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second, in time, on the first, double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Another note I uh, wanted to mention, uh, the Farm Credit Administration, Administration Chairman Glenn Smith told a House Ag Committee uh, yesterday that the farm lending system is currently safe and sound, but officials are still very concerned and closely monitoring some weakening in credit quality. And he went on to say, I think we're at a level that's comparable to the early 80s. And he cited economic trends like falling farm income, rising debt-to-asset ratios, and concerns about the value of farmland. Farmland values have uh, stayed uh, pretty stable across the country, but that could change, Smith warned in his written comments to the committee, if larger amounts of farmland go up for sale, like if farm bankruptcy rates continue ticking upward. So um, we always, especially when we're in uh, tough economic times in the ag economy like right now, we always look and compare to the 80s. Is this like the 80s? And in many ways it's not because of some key factors such as stable land values and lower interest rates and things like that. But as uh, the chairman of the Farm Credit Administration points out, there are some signs of concern that bear watching. So uh, that certainly be something that uh, we'll be talking more about in the days ahead. All right, let's uh, talk now with Justin Gilpin, CEO of the Kansas Wheat Growers. Justin, thanks for joining us. I think the last time we talked, we were talking about wheat harvest and some of the weather challenges that growers were dealing with. Well, now we're talking some weather challenges again for the wheat crop, aren't we? Oh, we certainly are. We're looking at two different extremes from last year's crop to this year's crop, for sure. Okay, so cold weather, uh, some snow. Uh, give us kind of the lay of the land across uh, Kansas and uh, the condition of the wheat crop. Well, when you think about the Southern Plains winter wheat crop, you know, we're right at the tail end of getting everything planted. Uh, where we're at uh, as far as conditions, though, you know, we've had 
early early in the fall we had decent moisture uh, in the first part of September, but really that was the last time that we got any measurable rainfall. So a lot of the crop that's that's in uh, now has gone uh, almost a month and a half without without any measurable rain, and then uh, we had a really cold temperatures, and and that combination really has the winter wheat crop in the Southern Plains uh, really behind schedule. You know where you'd want this crop to be going into a into dormancy as far as the wheat plant getting tillered out and getting a crown root system established just because we have such dry topsoil conditions uh, and and uh, those cold temperatures just hasn't allowed that crop to get established. It's a little bit concerning. I was going to ask, what is your level of concern at this point? Well, you know, obviously it's really early to get too concerned, and uh, the forecast does have some temporary relief. Looks like it's coming maybe in the next 48 hours, but uh, when you think about even with that rainfall, because of the cold temperatures that we've had, we're still not going to get uh, get good uh, crop establishment going into the winter. You know, typically when you drive in the southern plains right now, you would see uh, a little bit more green, lush-looking wheat fields. It, you know, right now, you can almost uh, you can almost just uh, barely barely row the crop, and with the cold temperatures, a lot of that top top growth has been kind of burnt back without the crop being tillered out. The growth point still is below the uh, below the surface, so that is protected. But it's in those dry soils that just doesn't give it a chance to get a good root establishment. Uh, that's going to hopefully find some of that subsoil moisture that's there. I do believe that's why uh, on Monday's crop report, where you saw USDA NAS ratings, you know, with the second week in a row, we've had uh, pretty steep declines uh, in the ratings for good to excellent category for Oklahoma, Kansas, Texas, and, and Colorado. You know, most of our conversation right now is about harvesting corn and soybean crops, but I just wanted to have you on to kind of remind us where we uh, have to keep an eye on the uh, crop that's, you know, in the early stages, and that's uh, the wheat crop, and uh, that there are some real challenges. The challenges, the weather challenges of 2019 just uh, keep going, don't they? No, uh, you know, we had a wheat growers board meeting out in uh, central Kansas yesterday, Mike, with the our board members, and I think the consensus around the table was that everybody's ready to just get 2019 over with and, and get moved on to the next year. It has certainly been a year of challenges, but I, I do think it's relevant to take a look at what the crop conditions are with this hard red winter wheat crop because they're, even though wheat futures and all commodity prices are, are pretty weak right now, uh, there could be a potential uh, story kind of starting to develop with this winter wheat wheat crop and the conditions, especially when you look at the global marketplace with Australia in a pretty severe drought uh, in her second in the second year. Argentina's crop is going to be a little bit lower. As we get into 2020, it's certainly something to keep an eye on for this 20, uh, for this next, uh, for this next year's uh, wheat marketing. Yeah, for sure. We're talking with Justin Gilpin, CEO of the Kansas Wheat Growers. Now, you recently went to Brazil. Tell us about that trip. Oh, I had a real good trip. I had the opportunity to participate with U.S. Wheat Associates Crop Quality Seminars. It's an effort that they do every year to go around the world to try to sit down face-to-face with uh, buyers in different regions around the world to tell about each year's crop, not just winter wheat crop, but uh, all classes that the U.S. has to offer and that we promote and export. Uh, I had the opportunity to represent Kansas in the hard red winter wheat portion, uh, but, you know, it's so important to sit down every year with these buyers because every year is so different, specifically with the hard red winter wheat crop this year being uh, a lower protein crop compared to last year, uh, you know, and that was getting a lot of the headlines. 
it was really important to be able to talk to them about the protein quality and how, even though it's a little bit lower protein, uh, there is an opportunity for uh, this year's crop to to uh, be a good quality wheat that can make the kind of products that they need to make in their region. You know, specifically with Brazil, uh, we've been working really hard in that market uh, about a trying to get a win from a policy standpoint, and that was recently announced last week with a 750,000-ton TRQ uh, to get wheat uh, from the United States in there without a tariff associated for that 750,000 tons, and so that was an uh, that was an exciting win, and it could be a winter wheat or a lower pro spring wheat or a soft red winter wheat that uh, all make up that 750,000 tons. Some have questioned how big of a, a, a breakthrough that is. Uh, so you think it's a real opportunity for U.S. wheat growers? Well, I certainly do, Mike. You know, and, uh, and look, again, looking at what the story is with the, the U.S. wheat markets right now, uh, you know, we've done about 300,000 tons up to, up to date already into Brazil, and that was with the 10% tariff in place. And so I don't think the market was in, uh, counting on uh, potentially an additional 700,000 tons, which could put us up over a million tons of export into Brazil this year. Uh, so that uh, I think that's going to be a, a, a real a real success story. You know, and, and you do a good job of talking about all the trade rhetoric that's in the headlines. And so to get to get a win uh, for a trade policy standpoint in, in this environment. It's certainly a good thing for, for U.S. wheat growers, and it's the kind of thing I hope that we can build on as far as trade policy goes uh, on into this next uh, marketing year and uh, in, into the next decade for U.S. wheat. What did you hear from Brazilian officials when you were there? Uh, were they receptive to, to your message? Well, there's certainly uh, something that we've been working on as far as the trade policy standpoint. Uh, you know, they want to they be able to buy U.S. wheat, and so being able to get that uh, TRQ uh, allowed uh, uh, to get U.S. wheat in there without that tariff is something that they they are certainly in favor of. Uh, you know, when and looking at the marketing opportunities with hard red winter wheat, uh, you know where it's priced right now with soft red winter wheat and compared to Argentina wheat, uh, they're they're certainly interested in buying more uh, U.S. U.S. wheat. So I think it was very very well received, and of course. Uh, you know, it is it is such an opportunity that wheat farmers invest in U.S. wheat associates uh, to do these crop quality seminars and to build those relations because it's going to be those kind of relations that are going to be uh, establishing uh, trade partners for long term. Yeah, it it comes down to that so often. Uh, they value those face to face meetings and a building of relationships and trust. Uh, that's what it takes to get these deals done. Yeah, it, it certainly does. You know, in the U.S. wheat market, by making investments like this and having relationships like that, it becomes a very transparent process. And, and another thing with the spring wheat crop this year, uh, everybody was hearing all the stories about the quality issues and, and challenges that the, that obviously the, 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 sprint, the northern states were going through with the spring wheat crop. But being able to communicate to our South American buyers, uh, you know, that they, they do really like spring wheats and higher protein wheats and letting them know that even though the challenges that we're having, that there, there still is supplies available and, and being able to buy that consistently is so important. And to have that consistent relationship, that consistent buyer, and trying to grow the demand side for U.S. wheat is something we got to always be continuing to invest in and work on. All right, Justin, good to talk with you again. Thanks a lot and hope uh, you get some better weather here soon. Thank you very much. Always good to be with you, and thanks for all you do for agriculture. All right, take care. Justin Gilpin, CEO of the Kansas 
wheat growers. We'll talk markets next with Arlen Suderman with the INTL FC Stone. Stay with us on AOA. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres? That's smart. With Credenz Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credenz variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk it over with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Boy, Arlen, I wish if we had a dollar for every time we've talked about China in the last year and a half, uh, we'd be able to kind of just put aside a nice little nest egg and retire, couldn't we? Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, China continues to be the major item affecting markets, uh, whether it be the ags or the broader markets as well. And every time we, you know, the the optimism ramps up, something comes along on one side or the other or both to start pouring some cold water on it, and uh, we're kind of going through that again right now. And that just shows how intertwined we are with China, how, how we're involved on many different aspects of life with China. You can't do business in the world without encountering China in one way or the other. And I think it speaks to the, to the scope of the bigger issue, uh, that the United States has been the largest economy in the world, has been the most dominant factor, both from an economic standpoint, as far as a, a kind of a world peacekeeper. You can debate to what our role should be on that or whatever, but that's kind of the role we filled. And, and then you have China that is rapidly growing, or had been rapidly growing in its significance economically, had stated goals of becoming top uh, economically in the world, and uh, it sees that as being closely intertwined uh, with military superiority as well. And those goals are very aggressive that it's going after, is using some um, trade methods that uh, the United States found offensive in uh, being able to move forward. And so we're going to be butting heads. Uh, We're going to at one point or another. And they're just uh, the value systems, um, the goals and objectives between the United States and China as the two major players in the world, they're just simply too opposed. It was just a matter of time before we start running into this. So we want this trade deal, but maybe the new norm is they just buy when they need something. And we saw them lifting the ban on, on U.S. poultry. Uh, is that what we're going to just kind of maybe that's where we go from here? Uh, well, we keep talking and pursuing a, a signing a, some formal deal, but in the meantime, they buy what they need. And that's been reality of how they've been operating anyway. They made a number of commitments on quantities, etc. Uh, when they joined the World Trade Organization, they've kept very few of those promises. I think they would like to avoid making additional commitments that they cannot keep. Um, but from our understanding of it, they're the ones who who first made the fifty billion dollar uh, value comment, and uh, President Trump ran with it. Uh, and now they're being going back to a little, probably in reality is more realistic. You know, 
how can they commit to buy stuff that they don't need? And I think at the time they felt pretty comfortable that they could reach that level. Uh, but with African swine fever now having a dramatic negative impact on their ability to produce meat, that means they need less feed grain, they need less uh, feed protein. Uh, they're suddenly starting to worry, can they actually meet that? On the other hand, when they need something, they have shown they will do whatever is necessary to meet that need. And so uh, that if that means buying from uh, a country that they have issues with, uh, you know, it's They've bought from the United States, but look at Canada. They've been very angry with Canada since Canada arrested the Huawei executive. But when they need meat, they open the door back up for importing pork. So they will do what they need to do, no more, no less. Yeah, African swine fever has been somewhat the game changer, right? I mean, they were they they kind of like to deal from a position of strength, and that took away some of that strength for them forcing them to make some purchases that they may not have wanted to from from customers they may not have wanted to yeah i think that's well stated and uh that was something that they did not count on when this uh, trade war started a year and a half ago african swine fever was not on their radar and they thought they had this under control they simply buy what they need from south america they might initially need to buy a bit a little bit from the united states but they could expand other markets and encourage that expansion uh, including their domestic markets and and they could uh, become independent of the united states and that simply doesn't work when they need protein meaning meat they, from all sources and all of the above option i don't think they ever could fathom even six months ago just how great the need would be or that they would have 15 percent food inflation meanwhile on usmca it's tough to get a real read on this because you don't know how much uh is political posturing i mean you hear some that say let's get this thing voted on now and you hear others say hey we we don't want to have happen here what we think what we thought happened with NAFTA, and that's a loss of jobs and, and plants moving to uh, Mexico and things like that, and uh, seemingly going to draw a hard line in the sand here on this. Yeah, the pressure is really ramping up. In fact, the White House has people spreading out across the country this week, kind of making speeches and trying to ramp up that pressure. They do not want this to drag into next year's election year. They feel like their odds go down significantly if that does happen. Um, and so... The fact is that Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, has stated, well, we just simply want to make some tweaks to it, but it's been on her desk for over a year, and the opportunity to make those tweaks uh, has certainly been uh, there. And uh, we all know that in Washington, no matter which political party you're of, if you want something done, it gets done. If you don't want it done, then there's all kinds of reasons and excuses for it not to happen. And now the accusations uh, that are being made that this is being used as a leverage uh, to get votes for the impeachment, it just uh, makes it like a, a soap opera, made-for-TV soap opera. Um, but the consequences are far more serious than for a soap opera, and it certainly has a lot of implications for U.S. agriculture. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. All right, the... As if we didn't have enough challenges with the harvest, now the propane shortage in places slowing things down even more. It really is. It's It's been more of a localized issue. I think it's important to understand that we have lots of propane. 
but we just haven't been able to get it to the places where we need it. And the demand this year being heightened by the top type of crop that we have and the harvest that we have has amplified that. So we do have some places that have the propane they need and other places where farmers have had to not harvest, suspend harvest, because they couldn't get it dried when they brought it in. Um, and so they left it in the field, and that makes them very nervous when we're getting into this time of year and into the last half of November, especially if you're in the northwestern Midwest. Uh, it's you know I feel for the farmers in North Dakota with most of the corn crop still in the field, even a few soybean fields still left out there unharvested. That's not the way it is, will be. And three billion bushels of corn, over three billion bushels of corn still in the field as of Sunday. Over 300 million bushels of soybeans, many of those in the northern half of the Midwest. And that means that when USDA is doing its surveys to determine the final production estimates for the 2019 crops to be released in January, they'll do that in the first half of December, and doing their quarterly stocks reports that there will be a lot of bushels still in the field. Those will be classified as on-farm stored. Yeah, just stored in the field, not in a bin, right? So, uh, do you see a do you see a rally coming between now and the end of the year? Unfortunately, I do not, because we're getting now into that holiday malaise period when it's tough to really stimulate a sustained rally in the markets unless we have something change the the dynamics. Uh, basically, USDA told the markets on November eighth that the ag markets are amply supplied. Uh, we're seeing crude oil inventory reports that are showing it, crude oil inventories rising as well. That's all related in the commodity sector. And while the commodity sector had been rallying over the last several months, that momentum is now waning and starting to turn lower again. And as the China trade talks are lingering and continuing to go on and nothing concrete, we're losing that momentum we have, and the funds are starting to trade negative momentum the path of least resistance is lower. We have occasional days of rallies, um, but the overall trend is lower, and that really concerns me. Until we get one of two things, either a, a phase one deal with China that has some hard details of demand in it and or a weather problem developing in South America, and right now we have neither. Best opportunities right now would seem, depending on where you're at, uh, your local basis. Hey, well, uh, well, good point, exactly, and basis is strong uh, across the Midwest, stronger in some areas than others. It doesn't mean you need to do it with the whole crop, but uh, you might, and you know, depending on your ability to handle risk, think of the implications if something does happen to suddenly rally the futures market and farmers start to sell, what happens at basis? It can collapse quickly. So locking in the basis of a portion of your crop, Hope it goes up for the rest of it, but then if you want to, you could leave the futures portion of it open. If you're friendly to the market down the road, think we might get better futures down the road. Um, but uh, take a look at the strong basis, whether if you have it in your area, and consider some of your options for taking advantage of it. All right, Arlen, good to talk with you as always. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL. FC Stone. Again, a reminder, a chance for you to win a free registration to the DTN Ag Summit coming up next month in Chicago. Go to our website, Adams, uh, go to American Ag Network, 
and then click on Adams on Agriculture, and you'll see there where you can uh, send in your information, and we'll have drawings on Monday. We'll draw two names. Two uh, people will win free registration to the DTN Ag Summit coming up next month in Chicago. All right, stay with us. More to come. We'll talk about a new uh, ag lending business model. That's next here on AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credence soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, credence soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, there is a new ag lender using a a little different business model we're going to tell you about. Farm Op Capital. And joining us now is Bill York, CEO of Farm Op Capital. Bill, thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about uh, your company. Oh, good morning, um, and, and certainly, yeah, Farm Op Capital is uh, a new entrance into the marketplace. This is our, our second year of uh, financing crop loans, and uh, we um, provide operating loans uh, for all types of crops. Uh, our footprint is we, we lend from the Dakotas to uh, Mississippi and from Ohio to, to, to Texas. We are operating in 19 states. Um, and our focus is uh, really looking at the growing segment of production agriculture that uh, for crop operators who rent uh, more land than they own is uh, typically the profile that, that we meet. Uh, and that segment, is, as we know, uh, it has been growing for decades and will continue to grow. And we're looking at about 60% of the uh, crop land is operated by somebody who doesn't own that land. And the, the challenge operators are running into is that traditional underwriting standards don't work very well for them. So what we're doing is uh, putting together a structured loan product uh, that's specifically designed for that operator, and we're focusing on their ability to produce a crop um, you know, with some basic insurance, and that's what we're underwriting is their, their, their efficiency uh, to, to grow crops, market crops efficiently. So that's interesting. You 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 see a a, a niche here, a, a, perhaps a void that ha- is not being met with the current lending structure because, as you said, more and more ground is being rented. So let's let's kind of focus in here again. Uh, why your approach is different? What uh, when you're working with a farmer who's renting ground rather than uh, farming a lot of rented ground rather than land that they own? Uh, how is your approach different? What different requirements do you have in, in in lending to those farmers? Yeah, our, our focus is on their capacity to produce a crop and, and, and to market a crop. So what we're going to, you know, take a look at is, you know, their their track record in, in producing that crop. Uh, that's not different from any other lender. The difference is 
that we're looking at it from a structured finance standpoint. So we're looking at each crop as essentially a separate uh, project, and our loan is based on their ability to produce that crop, um, and we're looking at the guarantees that they have, the technology that they're using. And our premise is that uh, if you understand their ability to produce the crop, there's, there's a lot of solid farmers out there uh, that uh, have demonstrated the ability to produce a crop. We can track that. Uh, but typically, uh, for the, the segment that we're focusing on, they may not have a lot of traditional collateral, uh, whether that's with the equipment or the, or the real estate. Uh, primarily with real estate, they wouldn't have that. So underwriting standards, uh, traditional underwriting standards, they have some difficulty meeting. But what we're looking at is, uh, while we're not a technology company um, and we're certainly not a agronomy company, uh, we're looking at that farmer's plan. Um, uh, we're looking at the technology that they're using and basically giving them credit for that ability to produce a crop. And we're using the technology that they're, they are already implementing and giving them essentially, quote-unquote, credit, uh, meaning capital, uh, based on that that production capacity and, and our ability to to follow what they're doing on their crop remotely. Well, this you said you're you're new into this. What's your second year? Um, we know what the, the ag economy is. What it is. Uh, obviously, there's a need. A lot of farmers uh, needing the 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 credit, the the financing. Uh, but from the lending side of it, uh, isn't this a challenging time to uh, to be doing business with the ag economy the way it is right now? Yeah, that, that's uh, certainly uh, a valid question. One that. Uh, received, uh, um, you know, over the, the discussion of, of putting this, this company t- together. Um, yeah, it's a challenging time. Uh, what we're seeing is, is uh, producers uh, are, uh, it's, it's segregating those producers that, that can be viable long-term in the current environment uh, versus those that can't, and we're looking at somebody that can be viable long-term. But the Probably the most important thing as we look at this and we look at our, our business plan and our business partners going forward is it's not, you know, the short term, you know, the in the cycle. It's the long term in the segment. So we're looking at uh, really a, a structural change to, uh, uh, you know, crop production in, in the U.S. where you're seeing a bifurcation, a separation of land ownership from land operation. So we want to be a lender that understands the, the production of the crop, the marketing of the crop, and uh, provides adequate funding, timely funding, for the, for the farmer to be successful. As we look at, and, and maybe a little bit of my history to kind of where we're coming from, I've spent 40 years um, lending into agriculture. Uh, most recently, I was the CEO of AgriBank, the Farm Credit Bank in, in St. Paul. Uh, prior to that, I ran global operations for CNH Capital, Case New Holland. Uh, so I've got a long history of lending to to agriculture. Uh, but this segment um, has been growing. It's substantial, and uh, understanding a farmer's capacity to produce a crop and repay a loan uh, is what we're focused on. 
So if you look real at quick, the, real quick, Bill, how, how do farmers get in touch with you? How do they how do they make a connection if they want to talk with you about this? Yeah, they can they can uh, go to uh, farmop.com. That's probably the best way you you learn a little bit more about us and, and how to get in, in in touch with a local representative. Very good. Very interesting. And, Bill, thank you for uh, sharing your story with us. And uh, we wanted to get that out to our listeners uh, so they know what's available. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Bill York, CEO of Farm Op Capital. And with that, we wrap it up for today. Thanks for joining us, everyone, here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions.